0: Welcome to Pilgrim Processing on Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm John Green, I'm your host and we're at Tuesday, March the 16th, 2021. Still, we're going to stay in Jeremiah and in Romans and in the Gospel of John today and remember we have dropped back to John 6 having gone forward through into John 8 and now we're dropping back into John 6. <clears throat> First, let's start with a little prayer from Psalm 97. Oh you who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. It's exactly the prayer Jeremiah would pray. (laughs) He would pray that prayer for these people to whom he's speaking in calling them to the Lord. Love the Lord and then hate evil. He's The complaint that we're continuing with today comes from Jeremiah 17, 19 to 17. And it begins with the Lord's complaint against the people, and he's giving them the possibility of life here, right? So what he says is, Go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out, and in all the gates of Jerusalem. In other words, speak to every single person. Speak to the kings who come in through the people's gate. Speak to the people who come in through the other gates, of the city and into the city, and say this, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take care for the sake of your lives, and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day, or bring it into the gates of Jerusalem. Don't carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath, or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instruction. You know, the, 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 uh, the commandment to keep the Sabbath is certainly one of the Ten Commandments, and, and it, it becomes a little bit odd, reading it out of context in this way, to say, well, why is God so concerned that they keep the Sabbath, and if they keep the Sabbath, then everything will be okay? Really, that's all they have to do? Of all the commandments, they just need to do the one thing? And that's not really the point the point is to keep the sabbath but the point of keeping the sabbath to this people is the important part because as i've told you before about the baal worship it's fertility that's what it's about in an agrarian economy or an economy that's largely based in agriculture the most important thing would be fertility we've got to make sure the rains come we've got to make sure that that god provides all the conditions necessary for growth and so the main thing that you're going to need for fertility to happen is going to be rain. And so that's what Baal worship is. It's, it's to induce Baal, as I've told you before, it's in, to induce Baal to engage in sexual activity. And then his um, sperm is rain, and it makes the earth fertile. And so you can hear why all that would be. And so why is God telling him to keep the Sabbath? and to not do any work, and to not bring things in and out of the city. Well, all that has to do with commerce. It has to do with trading. And so if they'll keep the Sabbath, then that will get them realigned with him. Because what it is is to say commerce, my business, whether it's agriculture or anything else, is not the most important thing. I can set that aside for one day and trust and believe that everything that i need will be provided for which is taking care of some of that covetousness because i don't want all this other stuff because i become satisfied with what i have but that begins with satisfaction in him and so it's that taking of satisfaction which means that i don't have to wear myself out i don't have to spend seven days working i can take one day off To the Lord. I can trust Him for everything. I don't have to work myself to death. He promised to provide these things. He will, so long as I keep my part. And so, in keeping the Sabbath, they're actually serving lots and lots of different commandments because they're going to forsake other gods, they're going to get their priorities right, and they're going to trust Him because that Sabbath is trust. It's trust that if I take a day off and devote it to the Lord, then everything will be okay. I don't have to spend my time on every single day worrying about these things. And so you're you're taking care of that. You're taking care of covetousness. You're taking care of centering yourself back in the law of the Lord. And you're rejoicing and celebrating in the relationship you have. And you're remembering His promises. You're remembering who He is. that's why it's important to keep that Sabbath, because it keeps you in the right place, in right relationship with God. It keeps you mindful of his promises towards you, his goodness and his greatness. And then he goes on to promise in this. if, If this happens, then you're going to be thrown out of the land. But if you do these things then here's the benefit of that. Then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the thrones of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And the city shall be inhabited forever, and the people shall come from all over, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you don't, I'll kindle a fire in the gates of Jerusalem and it'll devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. It's important, I believe, for us to keep that Sabbath, to take that time away and apart with him, to remember those same things in the same way it was important for the people of Israel in those days. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. In the John lesson from John 6, 16 to 27, reminds us of exactly that cuz Jesus calls out the the hearts of the people here. So evening comes after Jesus has fed them and they wanted to make him king and he withdrew to himself remember he went up further on the mountain alone and so the people saw that they knew that Jesus was apart from the disciples and they saw then the disciples leave at evening and they went down to the sea and the Sea of Galilee and they got in a boat and they started across the sea to Capernaum where they were all from and it was dark it says and Jesus had not yet come to him and so they rode three or four miles across the Sea of Galilee, and they there was a strong wind blowing. The sea was rough, and Jesus appears to them walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and it says they were frightened. And he says to them in his eye, do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him in the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. It's Jesus walking on the water that frightens them. They probably presumed it was some sort of a ghost. They probably presumed they were seeing something or there was some sort of an apparition coming their way, and that would be the reason they were afraid. I can remember a long time ago when we first started the church here. had a had an elderly couple in the church, and, and she asked if she could lead the women's Bible study, and I said, absolutely, well... Later, we had some problems with one another, and he was constantly concerned about the fact that I mentioned Rick Warren approvingly in any shape, form, or fashion, or purpose-driven stuff. And so he got very upset about that, and he brought this thing to me. It was a pamphlet that it was about 36 pages long, and it was a, just a a, a, a devastating um, polemic against purpose-driven. And and in those 36 pages, it had three quotes from the book, and all of them were taken completely out of context. And so we began to talk about it. And and I said, Andrew, you know, here's the thing. Your wife, I allowed her to teach the women. And she told me initially that she was going to use um, William Barclay's commentaries. And these were written 100 years ago, almost now. And and I said, "I I let her do that, believing in her and trusting in her to teach truth. In spite of the fact William Barclay was a universalist, and in spite of the fact William Barclay didn't believe in miracles. And he said, Why do you say William Barclay didn't believe in miracles? And, and it was because of this story, actually. And, and then I began to read Barclay differently after I read the, his commentary on this story. Because what he said was is that he did well, he, he said Jesus wasn't walking on the water here, he was walking near the water. And the disciples saw him walking near the water. Well, I don't know why they would have been afraid. And then it, and that there was this huge storm, and that they were speaking with Jesus in the midst of this storm, and that he says the same thing about the other times when, they were, when he walked on water. And, and, and it's, I be not afraid. Well, why would they be afraid if Jesus was walking on the land? But it, it, so that was his, his way of getting around the idea of Jesus walking on water. But, it, but the, the stories never made sense once he took the miraculous element out of them. But in in doing so, he had done two things, right? He had denied the, the Word of God, and he had denied the Son of God. And he denied the Son of God by, by saying that, that these miracles had been overblown stories, and they were not overblown stories. There's a reason the people wanted to make him king. It's because he provided food. What Barclay said about that was people had food, and he Jesus Acting in this way encouraged them to share. Well, so did Barney the dinosaur, but that's not what happened there. The people wanted to take him king because he had done a great miracle. The disciples were afraid here because he was doing a great miracle. It's important, again, to know what it is we believe about Jesus. We have to get that right. If we don't get that right, we're not going to get anything else right either. So, And Jesus goes into the boat, and they get to where they're going, into Capernaum. And the next day, the crowd sees that that boat is gone, and they knew he wasn't with them, and yet he wasn't there. And so they got into boats, and they went over to where he was um, and drew to the other side as well. And they got there, and they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? They knew that he hadn't come with the disciples. um, And so they wanted to know, well, when did you leave? We never saw you leave. Well, what would be even more remarkable— would be if they had asked the right question which is how did you get here oh I just walked across the water but they just asked when so Jesus didn't bother to answer the question of, of how and so he answered them truly truly I say to you you're seeking me not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves don't work for food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you for on him the Father has set his seal he knew the heart He knew the heart of the people, and he knew why they were seeking him. And it wasn't because they had come to a higher understanding of him. It's because they wanted more bread. It was time to eat. He had compassion the first time because they were seeking him. But now he's very cynical about why they're coming after him and what it is they want. And he's cynical for a reason. It's because they said before that he was the prophet, and they wanted to make him king by force. They wanted more, more bread, more this, more that. That's exactly how you get a tyrant and a despot. That's exactly how Germany ends up with Adolf Hitler as the chancellor, is that he promised to raise and improve their economy. And so Jesus here is pushing back and pushing away because he knows what's in the heart of men. Remember, John's told us that before. He told us that he knew what was in their hearts when he was in Jerusalem and he wouldn't entrust himself to them so again here we are with that same thing they're coming to him for the wrong reasons they're coming to him but but underestimating who he was and not being willing to to acknowledge that it's a it's a desire that's bringing him there but it's the wrong desire it's not the desire for him as who he who he is and who he said he was so paul in the um epistle He's talking about desire as well. He, he, and he says, I don't understand myself sometimes. I don't get what's going on. He says, did that which is good, the law, then bring death to me by no means? It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we all know the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh sold under sin. And then he keeps on and says, I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want to do. I do the very thing that I hate to do. He said, but if I do the thing that I want to do, then I prove the law is good because I approve of it and I agree with it. But it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me that causes me to do this. And then he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that's in my flesh apart from the Holy Spirit. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. I don't do the good thing I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, then it's not really me that does it. It's sin that dwells in me. But sin has control, and that's why he's saying you're slave to sin under those things. And so he said, I find it to be a law that I want to do what is right, but evil lies close at hand. Again, here we are with Genesis kind of language, because that's exactly what God says to Cain. Evil is crouching at your door. It's close at hand. It wants to have you. He said, I delight in the law of God, but I see in my members of law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. And then he can't find a way out of it, and he cries out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives the glorious answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And Jesus has come to be the answer to that dilemma that's unresolvable in my flesh. He comes and provides the answer to what will save me from this body of death, and that is his death, and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life to set me free from the power and the slavery of sin.